The mind is the cause of all suffering. When that becomes clear, then along with that, the resolution of the problem of suffering becomes clear as well. <coughs> that only a radical transcendence of the mind, the discovery, the realization of the transcendent self will solve the problem. But the sages say that only when the realization of the urgency of the need to transcend the mind is at least equivalent to that of the urgency of a man whose hair is on fire to find a pool of water to dive into should you begin a path like this. Because it will otherwise create more problems than it will solve because it will bring up all of the latent issues that might still be repressed and the suffering yet to come. It will accelerate that. It will bring it all into your face and out of your body, but into your mind. It can heal the body's symptoms, but at the same time, it can create unbearable emotional pain. And so the ego prefers to be physically sick than to be mentally sick. And when it overflows the physical, or can't be put into the physical, because the perception of even normal reality is too unbearable, then it becomes both essential to transcend and yet more difficult because of the disturbances in body and mind. And therefore, if one can have the intelligence and the foresight to make the decision to transcend the ego before the suffering becomes too great, before the collapse, before the loss of mental coherence, one has a better chance of succeeding. But usually the urgency does not arise until the symptoms become unbearable. And then radical sadhanas are required and commitments and dharma and approaches uh, that require a change of one's life, like coming to an ashram, changing one's environment, uh, leading a kind of lifestyle that no longer allows the indulgence in jouissance and by enforcing the discipline of meditation from outside enables the opportunity to achieve the inner silence that leads to the identification of the self as that which is transcendent of mind and therefore has the power and the divine right to silence the mind, to control it to use it in the service of God in a way that it no longer creates any suffering.
It is this power of the real self to overrule the usurper, which is the ego with its sensor and superego divisions that control it, that gives the capacity to override the sanskaras and continue a return to the silence that one is until the power of the ego mind, its draw, its magnetic pull toward both suffering and pleasure have been extinguished. But before one achieves that, there is usually an oscillation between the, the pain, the symptoms, the unbearable feelings, and the security operations that defend against those feelings in an unhealthy way. And to the extent that those security operations succeed, because that's easier and doesn't require transcendence of the mind, those will be chosen. And those security operations include choosing to have a sexual partner, choosing to use drugs, choosing to have uh, whatever kind of jouissance, the illusion of power over other people, control of one's environment, etc. I tend to use the acronym now of LADIDA, which is lack, anorexia, deflation, inflation, dread, avoidance. And in that dialectical oscillation, one tends to go on with the ego as if nothing wrong, la di da. <laughs> and yet, underneath that is the unbearable suffering that alternates with momentary jouissance or a security op that keeps one from having to feel the urgency, and thus the frog boils away in the water and never jumps out. When these defenses and methods of extending the illusory life of the ego no longer work, then a time comes when there's no choice. It is the only solution. The drugs won't work. Even the cannabis won't work. It will increase the paranoia and the other issues. And none of the ways in which one has used to inflate the ego uh, avoid its consequent deflation. And it becomes all too clear that none of the methods of the ego will suffice. Then, even if there isn't a love of God, uh, the desire for peace, peace of mind, peace from mind, becomes the only issue that completely consumes one's mind. 
And it's at that point one realizes that one has been consumed by the mind. But what is it that has been consumed by the mind? What is it that contains the mind? And then, as one answers that question, one discovers the pure presence, which is the screen upon which the mind appears, upon which the entire hologram of the phenomenal reality appears. And then the more one focuses on the nature of the screen, of the presence, the background that one never saw because one was focused on the objects of consciousness, including the ego. The power of that screen to control its own contents becomes clear. And because everything that appears as mind and as world is a self-arising phenomenon within pure presence. If you are pure presence, you have the choice, does it arise or not? And even though that choice is made without using mind, that it is spontaneous, the very identification of the self as the pure presence gives the power for the mind to arise only when needed to serve the self. And then spontaneously, thoughts will arise when necessary to resolve particularities of situations, to offer healing, wisdom, blessings. But when those needs are not there, the silence becomes the natural condition of the self. that natural state of the self, the nisarga, the nisargananda, the bliss of one's nature, prevails over all tendencies of the mind to act out on behalf of the ego. And the ego itself dies into that blissful presence. But the powers of the ego that, that seemed in the past to pertain to the ego, like the buddhi itself, the power of discernment of whether you're in a dream or you're in a real world, whether the ego is the self or whether the pure presence is the self, and all of the other discernments, differentiations, distinctions that must be made, the decisions that must be made in daily life, the pursuits, whether of art and science or community building or whatever else on the phenomenal plane one is called to do from the depths of the self, from the heart, will happen without the glitches of egocentricity. And projects can succeed because there can be organization of beings who recognize their oneness as manifestations of the self, without power struggles, without desire, rejection uh, complexes, without all the other pathologies of the self, whether of arrogance or of evasion and hiding behind their blanket, 
in whatever way that the, the self acts in a childish manner and cannot make and keep promises which destroys the ability for projects to succeed, for anything to be built, for any higher growth to be attained, all of those obstacles are overcome and the complete and full potential of the human spirit can be realized. And when the self manifests in a sufficiently large and unified grid of individual brains that are united through that vibrational frequency of pure divine love and awareness, then miraculous achievements become possible. Things impossible to achieve by egos, even egos in a hierarchically organized society, can be achieved easily through the higher powers that are granted through the self-realization that becomes a community realization of the self. A realization of the self that becomes disseminated through all the members of the community. And a true Sangha forms, free of all of the schismatic tendencies of the ego that get writ large in any organization, whether it's a couple or it's a, uh, a university, or a nation, or a planet, or a galaxy, or whatever level of organization is involved. And so at the moment, historically, of the destruction of an ecosystem, a planetary system of life, the only way to renew that life is through the self-realization that emerges within an individual organism and uses that organism in order to build a community of self-realized beings and a vibrational frequency of expanded mind, of Brahman, that incarnates as a communal avatar and it is that unprecedented achievement of an avatar not identifiable as a person, but as a community and eventually as the ecosystem itself, as the planet itself, and then as the cosmos itself, becomes reorganized according to these lines of the higher divine order that manifests as a vibrational frequency that overwhelms the chaotic frequencies of the incoherent egos that operate at all the other levels of the dying planetary ecosystem and enable a renewal to be realistically achieved. It is at that point that this planet and all of the, its individual inhabitants have reached. And thus the decision to survive or become extinct must be made at that level of the communal avatar.
and at the level finally of Gaia, the planetary avatar. To be in resonance with that power, that presence that is trans-individual and trans-cosmic enables the flow of an amount of energy of healing that would not be possible through any consciousness identified as individual. And it's the flow of that enormous amount of Shakti that will, if the correct choice is made, enable the restoration of planetary life. But the transcendence, that is the presence that is Brahman, is not attached to the outcome. And that non-attachment that is, however, pure love enables the samsaric vehicle of the nirvanic noumenon to redream itself in a spontaneous way that overrides even the resistances of the egos who are destined to be its vehicles. It's that process that we are witnesses of that lead to awe and surrender. And the more that we recognize that and we are in a state of voluntary surrender to that power out of our love rather than submission through the recognition of helplessness. The more that the ego and its resistances are transformed into the manifestation of that avatar power itself. Tatwamasi. May you be given the gift of ceaseless remembrance that you are the fully awakened, luminous, supreme presence with complete dispassion for both the temptations and the terrors of the illusory phenomenal plane. And recognition and abidance as the transcendent, eternal, deathless spirit, victorious over all Maya.